listening to Garbage Hill, Winnipeg's first podcast network, GarbageHillNetwork.com. Hi, this is Keith Price, and you're listening to Witch Police Radio.
welcome to Witch Police Radio. I'm your regular host, Sam, and today I'm here with Keith Price. And how's it going? Things are great, man. How are you? Good, good. Uh, we're, um, as usual, you know, on, on location, I guess, as you want to say it, but uh, we're in the exchange, which is always a nice place to, to do an episode of the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, happy to have you on the show. Um, you're someone new to the show. Uh, lately, we've been getting a lot of return guests, and uh, it's not because we're trying to avoid new guests, it's just that um, people we've had before keep putting on new albums. That's awesome. But um, part of the reason we wanted to have you on is because you represent a type of music that we haven't really touched on much. Um, I listen to jazz, I like jazz, and I feel like it's strange that after 200 or so episodes of the show, we really have only barely dipped a toe into the jazz world in Winnipeg, considering how big of a scene it, it seems to be, at least to an outsider. So mm-hmm. maybe that's a good place to start. Like, what is your background in jazz? And, and I guess for the listeners who are unaware of you, what do you do? <laughs> what do I do? What's my background? Um, Any combination of those questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I play guitar. Uh, I play jazz, which is kind of a weird thing to define. Yeah, it's yeah, almost it's... not definable. But to sum it up, I might say it's um, instru- usually instrumental music, and it's... Uh, interpretations of things that are have already been written okay like not just a cover but like an interpretation or you know you mess with it or something right and then it's uh, jazz usually usually has a lot to do with improv improvisation and you know um kind of like improv comedy night right on the bandstand yeah yeah but uh yeah i got into it in high school it was actually um I was I, I listened to punk rock at the time in the '90s, I guess. You know, so it was like a lot of uh, skater punk stuff. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. propaganda, no effects, yeah. lag wagon, these things. No, I was probably same type of kid. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate for that. Type so of you know, it was raw and it had high. It was high, high energy. Yeah. And, then, yeah. and when I was 15, then I heard John Coltrane, and it seemed to be the same. It seemed to be like punk rock to me, but there was the improv element, and that these guys really spent. You know, they obsessed about being good instrumentalists and right. stuff. So that's kind of how I got into it, I guess. Okay. Well, that's maybe a good starting point because, like, uh, like I said, I can definitely relate to the, the punk rock thing. And I, I think, as far as jazz, like, my own personal listening is pretty limited. I kind of find people that I like, and then I just stick with that. Like, who I, do you listen to? By well, the okay. Way? Well, I mean, it's mostly sax players, actually. Um, I got into Ornette Coleman first of all, uh, for similar reasons. It reminded me of punk rock. And nice. I, could, I could I could really, I was in a lot of noise kind of punk stuff and with a lot of kind of weird experimental, just like, you know, feedback and things like that. And I could see a connection Definitely. You know, to that. And then I, so from there, I kind of went from there to John Coltrane and Archie Shep. And uh, pretty, pretty much anything, I decided that anything has an impulse label on the side of it. <laughs> from the 60s like. is right. probably and, the right. Right. And it seemed like there's aesthetic. very few things from that label that I haven't liked. And I actually got a book about the history of Impulse Records and that kind of led me to more things. So I've kind of stuck in that little category. I went through a brief period of being really into fusion. I was listening to a lot of John McLaughlin and like Mahavishnu Orchestra and stuff. And that was when I was a teenager and that was, I kind of got over that (laughs) at some point. But that's really about it. I mean like other than kind of Coltrane and associated, you know, band members and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then this weird fusion period I had. That's about it really for my jazz listening. So I mean, I, I like it. I just it's such a vast genre that I have a hard time kind of placing what it is I like other than the experimental kind of nature of some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so, so I don't know, it's difficult. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, like a, a lot of that 60s stuff I think has a lot to do with the African-American civil rights movement. Right, well, some very blatantly, right? Even song titles and, and even Definitely. some of the spoken bits and stuff. And like the skater punk guys are maybe not as, I don't know how to say it, you know, as not... Uh, 
their cause is maybe not as um, you know gallant as the civil <laughs> right. rights movement, right. but there is like a kind of you know f the man yeah relationship perhaps between totally. those two totally. zones. Well, attitude wise, anyway, like yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean aggression for sure. Like you, you know, I, I can see that even though I think people maybe who. At first glance, like a saxophone, that's not going to be aggressive. But obviously, it can but be. But did you listen very to yeah, Archie yeah, Shep yeah. and Coltrane and you know, all those yeah. guys? Yeah. And then I guess the, the third way that I come into to jazz a little bit is um, I'm a really big reggae nerd. I listen to like excessive amounts of reggae. I always have. Mm-hmm. And like that's never going to end. <laughs> I can't escape from the reggae <laughs> rabbit And so I got into that through ska. And I was in ska bands in the 90s and stuff. So when we had we had a horn section. And I, I you know, I played with a lot of uh, much better musicians than me, you know, playing the trombones, trumpets, saxes, things like that. And I was really into bands like the Scatolites and all that stuff, you know. And then people like uh, uh, Rico, Rodriguez, Rico Rodriguez, who played with the specials. And he put up uh, some really uh, kind of epic Jamaican jazz albums that were sky and rock steady influence but it was still very clearly cool instrumental trombone jazz and stuff so it's from there but like i mean i don't know if this is even a question but jazz is so seems so deep and so vast as a genre that i think if anyone even says yeah i like jazz it could mean anything i mean it could mean, it could mean you like kenny g it could mean you like some really weird avant-garde shit it could be avant-garde shit it could be kenny g it could be lewis armstrong right and, right you know it's tough the word is pretty much meaningless okay it's lost all me it lost all meaning and even some people some of the greats didn't like the word ever at all. Okay. Duke Ellington thought that it was a shitty word. Um, Miles Davis, uh, there's a great interview on um, YouTube. I guess, well, the interview is with Arsenio Hall, and okay. it's on okay. YouTube. So and it was they on asked his show, him, I guess, at the time. Yeah, exactly. And so they asked Miles about what music does he make, you know, and, and I, some question about jazz, and he was like, no, nah, I don't play jazz. Because I play social music. Okay. So, like, if Miles Davis one of the greatest jazz musicians, quote-unquote, right. you know, of all times, doesn't even think he's making jazz, then what are we else? What are we going to say about <laughs> yeah, jazz? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, it's really problematic. Because um, you can invite someone, yeah, to a jazz show and it could be any, any you know, sub-genre of a yeah. hundred years worth of stuff. So it's tough. It's, it's kind of a marketing um, flaw <laughs> that, like, you know, because like you ask me what I do, I say I'm a jazz musician. It doesn't really communicate anything. No, no, which it's, is, it's it, vague, which is not, I mean, it's, it's got to be tough to, to explain it to people just because, I mean, yeah, how do you, if someone has a vague idea what jazz is, maybe they're listening to Lewis Armstrong, maybe listening to like Kenny G or something like that. Yeah, and they're both, I guess, you know, correct, right, right in right. a way, but they're And so you know, Ra. Exactly. Yeah, so how do they, exactly. so how do you define, how do you explain it? Do you, do you just stick with jazz, guitar, instrumental, or do you kind of go deeper if you're trying to convey what it is you actually do. I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> I don't really know because, um, and like rarely, I guess, do we really have the platform? You know, it's nice right. to be on, you know, a show with you that's not always having jazz so I can talk about it a bit. But usually we're just kind of like the niche of the niche groups that's just like, or the, you know, or a nerdy group of folks who are just off to the side. Yeah, and yeah. it's hard to... Uh, I mean, I can preach to the jazz people what jazz is, but they already kind of think they know, right? right? We all have our, meaning think they know, like we already have our own idea of it. it I don't know. It's, it's, it's a really, we could probably do <laughs> a couple hours on it. Right, just you know? on what it is and what, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, there's a scholar, his name is Scott DeVoe, and he says that jazz is an African-American musical tradition and after, and if you try to define it more than that, your definitions fall apart. Because it could be anything. Yeah. Well, in a way, in a way. Um, but then it kind of links, you know, Dixieland and swing and the bebop stuff with, uh, the, you know, the free and the yeah. and the stuff from the '60s, and and it also kind of links to hip hop and 
I don't like know. through sampling or through the whole improvisational or I mean because I imagine that a lot of the I mean having talked to a lot of rappers on on the show as well um, a lot of it is very much improvised I mean and a lot of it's yes. taking from little snippets from various other other types of music and kind of combining it to make something that is then improvised on top of which yeah yeah totally I think that I think that hip hop is carrying. Uh, on that, that's you know, as Miles said, you know, social music, that social cultural interaction. Uh, I think that maybe jazz was what hip hop is. Okay, that might be a way to start explaining it because it's hard to explain what hip hop is. I think now, yeah, because it's taken so many turns and twists. Yeah, and if you try to go back to the beginning and explain what it is, that doesn't sound anything like what it is now. Which is the same with jazz. Because it's evolving yeah. as everyone's identities are getting you know uh, thrown into it. I guess. Yeah. So I think that jazz is maybe similar that we're. But it's evolving as uh, the culture evolves, as the sounds evolve. So jazz, I think, is yeah, maybe very similar to hip hop, but it's you know usually instrumental. So the yeah. language is not, you know, uh, well, it's a, it's a it's a sound language more so than a spoken language. Right. But there definitely is a language to it as well, in the same way that we would. But it's a rhythmic language. Maybe that's okay. But well, I don't know. This is this is no, no, it's, 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 it's good. It's good because. <laughs> It's hard to pinpoint, yeah. But I imagine, the, the, I, mean, I think the difference maybe between the two of them is that jazz in 2016, it's, compared to hip-hop, hip-hop is the mainstream of music right now. Jazz yes. was at one point. Yes. But now it's kind of, you know, it's own little area where, I mean, probably a lot of people are casual fans of jazz music, uh, whatever they want to define that as. But the real kind of deep fans are kind of off in a corner where hip-hop used to be 30 years ago, maybe. It's like they kind of switch, switch positions. Yeah, I think that might make sense, yeah. Yeah. And as, as a reggae nerd, I can totally relate. <laughs> Sweet.
because everything's so compartmentalized now, because of the internet, because of the way people listen to music, do you think that jazz kind of, I don't know what I want to ask here. <laughs> do you think jazz is, is in a better position now, maybe than it has been, where because music is so accessible to everyone, everyone can release their own music, they can, and for something that's so improvisational and so kind of ever-changing and evolving, do you think it's kind of in a better spot where some guy in his bedroom can now put out some record that it may be mind-blowing, but whereas 10, 15, 20 years ago, he wouldn't have been able to get that, that done? I don't know. I don't actually, no, I, I don't think that it, the internet's good for jazz. I, I, I don't think that, I don't think that the jazz knows how to relate to the internet. Okay. Because like, that does work for other <laughs> genres, right? For some other genres of music are like, the internet's a huge boon for them because you do see so much evolution with just some guy in a basement or in a... Yeah, some guy in a basement makes a record and then he calls his Tame Impala and then he has to find his own, has to find a band right. to play the right, music. Right, right, yeah, exactly, yeah. Amazing, you know. But jazz can't really be made like that. You have to make it live with with folks so right you can't really do it in your in your bedroom i think but i don't think that i don't think that like, like since that hip-hop takes over has long since taken over the social cultural um area that jazz once you know occupied the people who are studying jazz and playing jazz right now don't see it in the like they don't see themselves as doing what hip-hop might be doing right. so so like it doesn't relate i think to our culture Although it's hard to make generalizations like that, but I don't. So I don't think that most. I think jazz people are so busy looking to the past okay. and preserving it and enjoying it. And um, well, it has a lot of history, right? Well, yeah, it goes back farther than a lot of. Oh yeah, exactly. And I think that some people like to define jazz as something that existed between you know certain dates that are you know maybe ending around the seventies or something. And, right. And they, so, but the, when you look at that mindset, like it doesn't, I don't think it translates to 2016 and the internet and all these things in the same way. Um, I don't know, but it's, uh, it's tricky. There must be a way to make modern jazz relate. You know what, actually, Kamazi Washington is a good example yeah, yeah, of someone yeah. who could, who's relating to, you know, today's well, he's culture. he's playing with a lot of rappers and stuff too, and, and like just, you know, on Oh yeah, exactly. And he's like, a, he's a, he's like a, he studied ethnomusicology. So he's looked at, you know, the history, yeah. but he, he's presenting it in a way that doesn't, it doesn't seem like he's a traditionalist, but he's also not doing something so weird on his own that it's not part of the lineage. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, well, you know what, he might be a great example of some, of, of a way that jazz can use the internet and, and be culturally relevant. But there aren't, there, there isn't a long list of folks who are, in my opinion, artists who can do what Kamazi's been right. doing. And he's, I guess, the name that a lot of people outside of jazz community recognize. I mean, when he came here for the jazz festival, I didn't get a ticket, but I mean, he was someone that tons of people I knew were talking about going to the show, and it's people I would never have expected to listen to a jazz record, but they, they were aware of him. I, I'm not sure how. I was aware of him, too. I'd heard, I'd heard the, the epic. It was great. Like, yeah. And, and, and like I knew of him, but I don't know how that happened. It just like through osmosis. <laughs> well, I guess he was on like the, the uh, like, To Pimp a Butterfly. Right, which is I guess is probably the main reason people, yeah. And then people, I guess, you know, whoever's marketing him can say, well, he, was, he plays with Kendrick. Check this out. But then that's a three-CD, very cinematic, huge, you know, his whole, you know, Marketing is useless if you don't have something that's like relevant, and it's like it's his music is just seems relevant, I guess to 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 the times today. <laughs> Do you think I know we're just basically sitting here talking about what jazz is, but <laughs> we can get to your <laughs> but it's interesting. I think. Uh, do you think that jazz? 
I feel like jazz maybe has a reputation, and maybe it's an earned reputation, of being a very academic thing. I mean, there's a lot of you know people are studying jazz in universities, whereas maybe hip hop doesn't. I know in some universities in the states or whatever, there's hip hop related courses, but jazz really? is pretty like heavily embedded in universities and music schools and things like that. Do you think that's part of maybe the the difference between totally jazz and pop now? Like, totally, because totally. it's kind of a, a, akin to classical in that sense. Like, there's yes, totally, totally. Yeah, you know, jazz move has moved into the, uh, you know, it, it's kind of in cultural preservation mode, just like Bach and whatever else yeah, is yeah. in the in the in the um, in the classical side of it. You know, Wynton Marsalis in the '80s in America decided that this is our African American classical music, and we want to, or maybe even our American classical music, and we want to preserve it. You know, so that like that's I think maybe why the um, the uh, I guess the academic world is just kind of looking at a certain set of dates and, you know, and they're not going to teach you in, in school how to be culturally relevant, I guess. Right. Um, and so, yeah, and then, and then if we see it only as art music, um, then I think maybe it loses its connection to social movements, to uh, socialization, like in, you know, and just, you know, dancing and hanging out and, and all that kind of stuff. So it just kind of gets preserved in a strange way it gets preserved in the way that academia would preserve something and so um yeah that definitely you know i think it really it must have changed it yeah you know uh, i'm not sure which came first like it went it changed and then went to academia or vice versa or whatever but um yeah i think it's hard for people whether you're doing you know traditional jazz or classical music to study it in university and then make it relevant you know yeah because uh, you know, going back to Kamazi, somehow it's totally it's totally relevant. He's found a way to not not be academic with it, you know. So, uh, but he has the training and everything. But doesn't he? Is he I mean, I imagine he's. Uh, I read that he went to school like to study ethnomusicology. Okay. So he was like studying, you know, the, I guess the social aspects of uh, right. music history. And that's but, what I guess global, right? Ethnomusicology, probably covering a bunch of different cultures and. I think so. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And ethnomusicology yeah. would be able to tell us exactly. I guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. Much. Maybe we'll get one on the show at some point. Yeah. But, okay, so <laughs> going back to, to what you do, then I mean, uh, Winnipeg seems to have a very strong jazz community. I mean, mm -hmm. there's the the jazz festival is huge. Uh, not that it's all jazz at the festival, but there's a, you know it's it is a jazz festival with a pretty heavy amount of jazz. Um, something like Dig Magazine's been around forever. Mm -hmm. uh, it just seems like fairly high profile. So how did you, as someone who was into skate punk and then got into jazz as a teenager, how did you break into to what, what, what there is in Winnipeg for this kind of music? Uh, well, you know, once I got into uh, jazz uh, in like, you know, high school days, um, it, it wasn't like there was a good scene and I went, used to go and seek it out everywhere I possibly could. Um, but then I went and studied, I lived in Europe and I studied in Amsterdam. Okay. And it was uh, it was after Steve Kirby moved here in two thousand three or four that I think you know it started to become more high profile. And I you know I remember coming back from um, like for the summer and seeing how exciting things were here. And then I just thought you know I'm gonna I'm not gonna go back to Europe. I'm gonna stay here at home. Yeah, I love Winnipeg. I thought I'd stay here and 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 study it. And so you know Steve has helped um, start the program and really get things going. And make it a bit more high profile. Also, bringing in a lot of you know faculty from New York and from America. I guess they just bring a certain, certain kind of I don't know different cultural relationship to jazz. 
which is which is kind of I guess infectious. I mean, I don't want to say anything bad about everyone who's been here. There's been you know a very great creative scene. There's great musicians in Winnipeg, and there were yeah. great jazz musicians. Uh, but something about this, the force of the of the U of M program helped to um, solidify. I think in a way, if if nothing else, people who young jazz musicians who used to all move away, okay. started not moving away. And that, and and just having a place to study and places to jam may just be, at the very least of of, of what, um, of of what has made the scene great. Like someone like my friend Curtis Noah said, who lives in New York now, but like he would have, I bet, after high school gone because there was no jazz program, he would have left the city immediately. Right. But because of the U of M having a program, you know, he stayed for uh, you know ten years after you know graduation and. And so, and then everyone else, people stay, and the energy gets to mingle, and uh, cool. But uh, I guess I started, I, you know, as soon as I got back from Europe, I started jamming and hanging out, there, you know, and just wanted to be part of the energy that was starting here with the young people. Um, so part of the reason I was asking about um, like breaking into it is it because you know I, I was in bands as a teenager up until basically I had kids and I stopped being bands. But, uh, <laughs> and now I do this. But, um, if, you know, being a punk bands and stuff, you know, in, in, the, in the mid-90s and all that, it was pretty easy to just learn a couple songs, go down to the community center, there's a show. Or you know 12 other people in your high school who are in bands, and one of them doing a show in some guy's basement. Or, or you know, wherever, at the Albert or something, you sneak into the Albert underage and play a show. But I imagine for jazz, that is not as easy to do. I mean, I'm sure as a 15-year-old, you probably can't, just find some random kid and say, hey, are you doing a show? Can I get on the bill? Right? So is it yeah. mostly through the university? Like, is that educational program kind of a springboard to getting shows? Or how does it work from a jazz perspective? Oh, well, I guess, like, um, like, the, it's the, like, the jazz is in all the schools. Like, a lot of the high schools and junior I guess, high. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I started playing in the junior high, you know, um, jazz band. And then, uh, you know, you start to figure out, uh, okay, well, we can take this standard. You know, usually we're doing the traditional, very traditional approach to jazz, but there's, you know, 50 to 100 very common tunes, like the um, brown-eyed girls of, of, of jazz. Right, right, the jazz If you learn, yeah, you can yeah. sit in with everyone, you okay, know. Okay, okay. And, you know, there's a high school like uh, um, Vincent Massey where they have a jam every week. And so they just encourage, like, you know, those, you know, the jazz kids, like, who are in high school, they learn, you know. And then there's also, you know, jazz camps and stuff like that. And so, like, the entry point always for jazz is to learn the common repertoire and then then go to a jam. You know, I guess the same if you go on on Sunday to Times Change and you sit with Big Dave. You know, you got to know how to play a shuffle. You got to know how to play whatever the languages are, right? So if we, once you learn a bit of the jazz language pretty much, you know, a jazz version of a blues or some of the simple tunes, then you can go in and, and play. And then when you're at the jam, you know, eventually if you go enough times and you prove yourself, well, one of the, you know, elders will hire you. Or you'll just see all the other interested people who are your age and then you'll say, hey, let's jam. Right, right. And then it just goes from there. You get some coffee shop gig, get past the hat. and Yeah, yeah. That's, so it's basically the same thing as a folk singer. Or a I guess it's band. similar. Yeah, it's it's, just, yeah, you yeah. know, as long as you know the, the language, right? Then yeah. you, that's your access point. Or you can go to the gym to figure out what the language is. Right, just to watch and then see if you can come. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, take notes, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's cool. I, I, I mean, it is, very, it is different from, from, say, being a punk band because, I mean, I guess a punk band, you, you, know, you don't want power chord, you're good. <laughs> you can pretty much, you know, use that. <clears throat> yeah, but, you know what, if you, don't, if you don't know how to move on stage and, like... That's you, true. You're not going to get too far in the punk scene if you're... Well, I don't know. I, I, I'm making a generalization. But I, I, I don't like to... I mean, yeah, there's more complicated harmony and stuff in jazz, but... 
there's got to be other things that are just as important to punk that if you don't do it's not just more, it's more than just a power of course chord, yeah I think, yeah you know i mean in terms of technical ability maybe that's all it is but there's definitely like a feel there's always it. other things yes. that are for super sure. important for sure or like reggae like it's really hard to play that feel reggae is a really perfect example of that because i know I'm not a very good guitar player. I played guitar in a bunch of bands. I played bass in some other bands, whatever. Uh, I'm not good at it. I mean, I'm aware, aware of my limitations. Well, but, wait a minute. <laughs> but I, I, I can do... I can play a reggae rhythm, no problem. And I know a lot of people who are unbelievable guitar players who can't... Like, in terms of lead stuff. And they can't handle the rhythm. And it's... it's well, yeah, because it's like a specific rhythmic language that if you, if you don't speak it, right. you can BS it. But, like, you're not going to really do it, you right. know? Yeah. So I think, yeah, obviously punk has those things. It does, it does, yeah. And so does jazz or so, whatever. But. Sure, sure. So when you... Uh, when you started out, I mean, were you just doing just as a solo thing, or had you found people to? to oh, kind of work with? I had I had friends uh, to uh, to play with. Doing it solo is very very hard. I imagine, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, to try to keep you know the, everything going while you're improvising and stuff. But um, no, um, uh, my friend Julian Bradford, is a bass played, player, yeah, bass player. We went to the same junior high, the okay. same high okay. school. So we got to start jamming when we were fifteen, and our band teacher had a had a. Had a country band called Thirsty Cactus. That's a good name. And then, and then they would get these like wedding gigs, and then they would hire us to, you know, they'd take a few hundred, you know, hundred bucks out of the budget. Yeah. And then get us to play, you know, the dinner music and cool, stuff. Cool. So we used to, we started, you know, jamming and playing little gigs, Julian and I, and another guy who lives in Montreal. Uh, we started, you know, when we were fifteen, doing, doing little gigs like that. Yeah. And then how does it go from? I mean. Where where do you where, where do you play where are the jazz were there jazz clubs at the time or were you just kind of fitting in in, in like restaurants or what's the I just have no concept of what the scene was There's or never is really, really been like a real jazz club here I mean the the French Cultural Center the CCFM yeah yeah they've had jazz every Tuesday for thirty years almost uh, so you know we got ourselves a little four track and made a demo and then got to play there you know once a year or whatever and. Uh, yeah, I think our, the first ever gig we did, besides those like country, uh, <laughs> those country band like filler in things, uh, was the, the Grace Cafe way up on Henderson Highway. I don't think I even know where that is. It's just it's way it's almost the edge of town. It's just a little um, a little like cafe thing, and you know, just hey, you mind if we play? <laughs> okay, yeah. you know. So uh, <clears throat> it's a shame that there isn't like one venue that's you know running. <clears throat> you know, uh, but. It, like it would be great if there was a venue here that could feature different styles of jazz on different nights. Right. You know, like we could hear something edgier on like a Thursday night, and maybe something that's more electronic influenced on Fridays and Saturdays, and something traditional on Sunday afternoon. It'd be great if there was one club where we could, you know, showcase all the decades of jazz and all the different styles. Yeah, well, we don't have that. <laughs> is there is there a fairly wide variety locally in terms of uh, what people are doing? I mean, oh are, yeah, totally, just, totally. There's enough that you'd be able to fill that out easily, like. If there was a kind of a theme night, you could probably. Yeah, I, I well, I don't know. <laughs> probably, there's a lot of musicians. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. You, you might know. get some out of the woodwork or something like that. Existed too, right? People who would maybe have been looking for a place to play or something. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah.
So I, I, I listen to a bunch of your stuff before, as I usually do when I'm interviewing someone. I like to at least, at least <laughs> get, get, get a bit of background. And I mean, I, based on the, uh, the albums you have out, you have, depending on the album, a different lineup of who you're playing with. I mean, you have, you have stuff where it's just solo, mm-hmm. you have the trio, you have a, a double quartet, I think I saw in something. Double quartet, so yes. What, how, does the, how does the writing differ for, for each group? Are you writing the songs, or at least the parts that are written? I imagine there's a lot of improvising too. There's lots of improvising. Are the written parts just done the same for each group, and then you bring them to the groups? Or is it kind of like, this is going to be a solo tune here, and this one is going to work better with the, you know, the double quartet or something like that? Well, yeah, I mean, they're just, they're kind of like different uh, vehicles in a way. So like the solo stuff, like I played for many years with Artists in Healthcare, Manitoba. Okay. So it's just many hours playing for patients and playing waiting rooms and stuff. Uh, so that's where I really worked on a lot of the solo guitar stuff. And it's a different, uh, it's a different zone than being with the other groups. Um, when I go out with a double quartet, uh, I just write like fragments, like okay. a, maybe a one chord progression, a feel and a, sh- a little melody knowing that we're going to improvise for 10 or 20 minutes off of that little thing right so for them it, that group i you know it's it's really but i want to hear how eight people are going to improvise together you know what's going to happen so i just want to have different moods and different tempos different things for us to explore so that one is just um setting us up for live Im- improv you know okay. um you know our the the recording that i sent you that's from our first gig after like two rehearsals cool, cool. So there's no there's, you know it's very much uh, improv the uh and then yeah the other groups uh the trio i like to do like my, my own writing right um for that that's kind of just you know maybe a bit more scripted um in, in the tune areas like maybe there's a bit more of a, a development of something but then there's still lots of improv Okay. Okay. Uh, but also like covering tunes with the trio, especially. Yeah, I noticed that on some of your stuff. You have like, it's just interesting takes on stuff for sure. Like. Oh, thanks. I mean, to me, that's kind of like part of the jazz tradition. But I don't want to just play, you know, a George Gershwin, you know, summertime like from nineteen twenty-five. Been done seven thousand times. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's a great tune and everything. But like, I like to take the process of taking, you know, how they would take, a, you know, a Broadway tune and put their own spin on it. I like to do that with with modern music. To me, that's that's my way of trying to make it culturally. Relevant. Some people are preserving the tradition. Some people are taking like Archie Shep and going further and trying to go as far out, you know, into weird time signatures and whatever else. And those are both areas are great. But for me, I feel like if I had to sum up now, what what do I do? I think I'm kind of like taking the traditional approach, but applying it to modern cultural stuff. That makes sense. I mean, I saw you did like the cover of Lithium, for example, and they like, did some Neil Young stuff. And mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, just music that I'm listening to, right, music right. that we we love right now that has um, that has meaning. But then we put our own spin on it, like our own identity, I guess. Okay. Okay. No, it makes sense. <laughs> makes sense. Uh, to go back to the improv stuff a bit, um, uh, I, I hate bringing everything back to reggae, but I do it all the time on that's the show. Great. I, can't, I can't. I can't help myself. But um, you know, I've seen some some reggae artists who a lot of them will kind of. Uh, especially the older guys will travel from city to city and they will just play with whatever band there is locally. I mean, I used to be on the organizing committee of the uh, Winnipeg Scone Reggae Festival. Mm-hmm. It lasted about five years until we all had kids and then no one had time for it. <laughs> but uh, we, yeah, we used to bring, like, everyone on the committee had kids within a four-year period or something. But we, uh, we used to bring in a lot of older guys. We had like Mikey Dredd, Willie Williams, uh, people like a Sugar Minot. Um, and they would come in and they would learn, you know, in a day or two, They'd have a local band of just made up of local musicians, and they'd learn it. And one thing that I noticed uh, with those guys and with other people I've seen too is that the vocalist will definitely be directing what's going on. There could be a five-minute instrumental break, but one guy is at least 
indicating, okay, he'll just gesture to the drummer or gesture to the uh, the keyboard player, and it changes it up as it's happening. How much direction is there when you're improvising? I mean, are you is there you or anyone else kind of not above the group, but just kind of keeping things going in a certain direction? Yeah, or? like what's the chain of command? Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, usually it's whoever's soloing. Okay, that makes you sense. Know? Yeah, and that's why um, I forget who it was someone from America many years ago said that. So that jazz is like truly a true democracy, because because each we're always sharing it. Whoever soloing is kind of in charge. Um, that said, the drummer can have a lot of influence. The drummer is kind of like, you know, the conductor. Right. So a lot of you know because it's a you know it's a it's still a rhythmic, you know, African American type thing in most um, cases. So the drummer can do a lot just by the way they play to direct things. Just in terms of like pace or aggression or... Well, yeah, or but how they're filling in things or how they're leaving things out, you know. Or like a drummer could go do something, like do a really loud fill and then go really quiet, like... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just can be able to control everything completely. So I'd say it's, number one is the soloist and number two is the drummer okay. in jazz. And then everyone else is, you know, communicating and working together. You can still, even if I, you know, I'm a guitar player, I can still make a suggestion that might, that will influence things. Right. But, uh, like it's, while you're playing, a suggestion in the moment? Yeah, like, or? well, exactly. Like a suggestion, like harmonically or rhythmically, or like maybe we should go here or, I mean, it's still, it's still, it's always very much a conversation. It's not like the band is never a backing track. Right. You know? Right. Hopefully not. Right. Right. <laughs> it's still very much a communication between everyone who's playing. Okay, but it's really yeah. But the solos and the drummer have a lot to do with what's going on. Does that Usually. apply? Does that also apply when you're when you're interpreting like a cover song? I mean, I know obviously you're taking that and kind of extending into directions too. But is there more kind of structure to that, or is it because the song has you know? I mean, like take the Nirvana cover for example. There's there's obviously a distinct part in the song where it switches to the chorus or where there's the where the guitar solo would be. I mean, do you take that into account, or is it just kind of developing off the the main vocal line played on the horn or, or guitar or something like that? Uh, well, it might depend. Like sometimes, like I might have a full idea, or sometimes I might come in and say, "Here's the idea. What do you guys think?" You know? Okay. Okay. Um, and sometimes we stay true to the song, or sometimes we just. Uh, you know, jazz musicians like to play, the traditional way is to play over the form, you know, so like when we play lithium, uh, a solo over like the verse part, the chorus part, and uh, the I like you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we kind of do over like, we call it like an ABC and run the ABC over and over again okay. as a form. Okay. So, I mean, jazz, you know, the art form comes out of the swing era which was dance music, so it's running the same forms over and over again. I think that's where it might come from. So a lot of times we make forms. Although maybe we might do a, you know, you might do a special arrangement where you're like, now nah, I'm going to save the C part until right. later. We'll just milk the A and B for a while. I don't know. It depends on the song, though, as you're saying. It very much depends on the tune. Okay. That makes sense. And, and the performance, too. Sometimes you might say, like, you know, you know, we can change on the fly, but either by playing or just or hollering. Okay. Just, you know, keep it going. <laughs> and does that depend on the audience as well? I mean, depending on what kind of venue you're playing at or... <clears throat> Uh, yeah, it would depend. Yeah, totally. And, you know, maybe they like it, maybe they don't. <laughs> the audience <laughs> or, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, totally. Okay. Totally. Okay. Uh, one thing I saw online that you had done that really interested me was the uh, the score for, the, the new score for The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Mm -hmm. And that, like, that's one of my favorite movies. And the score is so iconic um, yes. in the first place. Like, <laughs> I have the record. I listen to it all the time. Just uh, independent of watching the film. What a jerk, eh? I, like, rewrote no, it. No, no, but... <laughs> It's actually, I mean, it was really cool to watch watch some of that with a completely different, because 
I mean, having seen that movie a lot of times, there's so many things that are just like visual things on screen that, that are cued by the music. Uh, whether it's intentional or not, it's in my brain as this sound is happening oh, while this part, yeah. especially in that movie and especially with that composer, of right? Course, like, yeah, of so course. How did, how, did you, <laughs> how did that even happen? How did you do that? Well, the thing is I never saw the movie. Okay. So I somehow managed to miss it and I was in a pub in Toronto and they were playing it and it was silent. It was the first time I ever saw it and I just liked the shots. Oh, it's like cool, the, you know, yeah, yeah. and I have been thinking about how I'd like to do something, you know, write some music to visuals, be constrained by, by the visuals, um, and to be creative with it. So I saw the, the you know, I just saw it without dialogue okay. and was like, oh, this thing might work. And for some crazy reason, I thought that like this psychedelic kind of jazz sound would go with it. Um, and then, I, but I made sure to never listen to it. Even when I was writing at home, I made sure the sound was off because I didn't want to hear any of the sounds. Yeah. Because if I had seen it once, there's no way I could have rewritten anything. Well, some parts of you it are so I mean? iconic, right? And they like, I mean, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, it, so it wouldn't have been possible. But then, yeah, it's popular. So it was kind of an interesting thing. I mean, uh, they wrote about it once in, in a little thing in the newspaper, and a bunch of the comments were scathing. Yeah. People were like, how could this guy not listen to this thing? But Well, I remember hearing about it at the time. I, I mean, I didn't know who you were, but I remember reading it. I was like, oh, cool. Someone's redoing the... I'm glad that you think it's cool. Because, yeah. I, I mean, I, I could see how someone redoing it, you know, would be like, it's almost sacrilege. But yeah. it was just for fun, just to check it out. And But I couldn't have done it if I had ever heard it before. I still haven't got around to watching it. Oh, really? Well, have you heard? Have you heard some of the some of the soundtracks since? Or no, you haven't even. I bought the DVD, but then like, you know, I have a four year old, so right, right, <laughs> and I want to be able to just sit and watch. And it's it, a long know? ass movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just I haven't got to it yet, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to it. It's kind of like a like a saving it, right, you know? right, right. Well, that'd be interesting um, just to see it after having your idea of what what it sounds like. Uh, yeah, well, I'm sure it's way better, like the way that it was, obviously, and in whatever else, but. Uh, it was fun. It was a fun thing to try out. Was that just for like a one-time live thing, or well, yeah, know. it was for the new sound series. So okay. uh, for Jazz Winnipeg, you're supposed to do something that you haven't done before, and uh, so uh, yeah, we did it that one time. Um, but I'm going to do it again, uh, maybe in the spring. I've got some dates booked um, out of town in April, and I've been writing some new stuff for that group, not movie-based, but just new stuff. This is for the double quartet. For or? the double quartet, yeah. Um, so I'm planning, uh, I'm thinking about, you know, doing the movie show one more time. Sometime maybe in April. Do you know what movie you're going to do? Or oh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, do the Good and Bad Ugly no, show again. No, but something different. Or no. Just, oh, so you do, the, you do it start like from scratch or? No, no, I, I'm going to just, no, I, I, I want to perform the one that we performed before. Oh, the one you did? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah cool. Uh, because it's been, it'll be how many, six years almost right. by the time. But it'll be different because we'll be improvising. I mean, the whole, you know... However long the show, there was a ninety-minute show we did, and I could fit all the all the music on about five pages for the oh. whole band. So there's not much written. So I like to do that again. But I'm also writing new stuff for for that group that's not not related not related to okay. any movie okay. at all. <laughs> it's not just the movie group. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Although that might, maybe I will start with a movie. Who knows? It's a cool idea. So how do you how do you write to someone like that though? I mean, did you watch it again with the sound off while you were writing it, or is it just based on yes? Your, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I watched it many times with the sound off, and decided which parts of the movie because I only had ninety minutes for the concert, which parts. But I watched it with. Um, I just took notes about tempo, like what, what tempo would I get from watching the actors and watching the edits and the shots and stuff. Yeah. And so. 
And then sometimes to me, there was definite times where the seemed like the tempo of the movements of, uh, you know, changed. So I just made a log of, of when, when those tempos changed. And then I just, okay, well, I've got 10 minutes where I've got to have this thing. Then I've got three minutes where I'm going to have that right. thing. And then there's a part where there's like that domestic type violence of like, well, there's no tempo here. Yeah. And so I just once, and then once I had a, a framework of, of tempos, and then it was just, it was, um, just wrote within those tempos.
that's an interesting movie to do it with because there's a lot of scenes that are just just music for long periods of time, like without dialogue, where it's the, and that's like the really iconic parts that everyone kind of knows. So, <laughs> I'm slightly embarrassed. I've never seen it, but like for real, but yeah. uh, with the sound. I highly recommended. <laughs> it's a good, well, it's a thanks, movie. man. <laughs> I'll take you up on that yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's cool. No, but I, I just thought that was a it was an interesting interesting take on it because I mean I was I didn't get to finish all of it. I was listening to it today at work actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> it's, awesome. it's, it's cool. Yeah, it's, it's it definitely I, as a fan of the movie, I, I enjoyed it. So. Well, great, thanks. <laughs> I can definitely see though why people would be pissed off because it uh, is one of those kind of classics. That, oh yeah, I totally get that. I, but I didn't mean to upset anybody. You know, it's just uh, just an art project. Right, right. <laughs> you know, I had to pick something. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. So how 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 often are you playing shows? Like how how Frequently, are you out there with whatever grouping, you know, whether it's with your double quartet or a trio or solo or, or whatever else? Uh, not that much lately. It used to be busier, um, I guess. But I was just, uh, I was just finishing up my undergrad in music, okay. and um, I started my master's now at Brandon University. So I haven't been. I had a bunch of credits to make up, in, you know, so in the last in the last year. So like, I wasn't really. I wasn't trying to book anything. If something came in, great. But otherwise, I was staying away from it. But now that I'm, uh, you know, cleared up my undergrad, doing my master's now, um, I'm, you know, just in the process of starting to think about booking things again. Okay. Okay. Um, but the thing, for better or for worse, when you're a jazz player, you can do a lot of like cocktail parties and yeah, bet, weddings yeah. and stuff yeah. where you're not really doing what you really do, but you're, you know, you know, you're paying the bills and. You know, I once heard this guy say the only the only bad gig is you know the gig you don't take. So right. used to do used to get to work a lot like that where we just pay the bills. So it was good to be playing. But uh, I feel like there's a lot of, for a lot of different types of music. There's kind of little mini scenes like that where people are just kind of doing the job. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we've had a lot of country singers on here, and for those guys. Um, I mean, playing in Winnipeg is very different than playing in every little rural town that has a rodeo all summer long. And I mean, they make those, those circuits are huge for them. But and then they come into Winnipeg and they're playing like something much kind of grimier for for an urban audience, right? And it's it's, it's cool. It's, I think that's mm. probably the same kind of idea. There, it's like people w- want a specific thing at the specific venue, and they are able to do it. Might not be what they kind of want to present on their own, but it's like they, they have the capability of, of playing yeah. that style and that vibe. Yeah, it to me it's like the trades aspect of music versus the the artistic aspect. Right. Right. So I used to do a lot of the trades work okay. of it, and uh, yeah, I would like to again do more of everything. But yeah, now that the schools, and now that my son is four, a little bit, a little yeah. bit more freedom. Yeah, yeah, I know, <laughs> right. I know, I know what you mean. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally, totally for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So do you, do you have do you do a lot of um, or, or any uh, work with people from other genres of music? Like, are you kind of? I know a lot of, especially horn players, kind of seem to show up here and there on, on albums by people who maybe don't even touch on jazz at all. Is that the same for guitar, or? Well, there's all the genres. The other genres that have guitar have excellent guitars. They already have of some those yeah, genres. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so no, I don't. That I mean, sometimes uh, I'd love to, though. I'd love to. I, you know, like. I mean, I guess if I just sat with, you know, another style of music for six months and then maybe made some YouTube videos, I could get some work in that right, genre. Right. I would love. I listen to you know everything at home. Uh, and I love it. I love all the different languages of music, and I would love a chance, you know, chances to do uh, different things. But it doesn't really come up. And I haven't, like I say, I haven't been seeking out things too much in the last little while. Yeah. But, uh, but the times I have, it's been uh, it's been really fun. Uh, I got to produce once for my friend who's a songwriter, so that was really fun, you know. And uh, sometimes I get to do some mixing. That's great too. It's a, just another way of looking at music. Yeah. 
You know, it's like looking a, a view of the mountain, but from a different side when you're mixing. So that's sure. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'd like to do more of everything. Do you do? Do you produce your own stuff too? Yeah, yeah. Everything I sent you was all, um, you know, recorded or for sure mixed by me. Okay. <laughs> Better for worse. Right, right. right. <laughs> well, that's. I mean, that you know, again, not to like keep going on about the punk thing, but that's. You know, the DIY. Well, I've always liked yeah, that. Yeah. You, know? and you were mentioning recording stuff on a four track before and things like that. So, yeah. It's, sometimes I used to do like my own postering. Like I, I read the tour diary of Henry Rollins. It's a good I one. Thought, get in the van. Uh, yeah. Good book. Amazing. And I thought like how how cushy is my life and at yeah, the, you're not even eating, eating dog food in the yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get spit on yeah. and everything. So Beat up by cops every night. Yeah. There's, so there's times I've gone and like did my own postering just like. Just to, I guess, flirt with the idea of being a punk rocker. But, <laughs> but yeah, I like, you know, sometimes people ask me, like, oh, do you get grants? I said, oh, yeah, I, I get grants from Visa. Right. And so Visa gives grants? Really? Like, yeah, they, 20%. Yeah, right, right. Interest. Interest, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> but well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, I think that's another thing people assume about jazz, too, right? They, they, they kind of lump it in with classical with this more academic thing. So they probably are assuming, oh, you're all getting grant money or, you're, you know, you're... Yeah, you're, I'm going to start writing those grants because why not? <laughs> but like, for, up until now, I've never, I've never written one. And, yeah. Yeah, I guess it, yeah, it has been that idea, you know, do it yourself. Which is good. I mean, that's what this is. Just shows all about too. Yeah. The DIY thing. I love that about Winnipeg is that there's well anywhere really, but there's tons of people regardless of genre, kind of just doing it and succeeding. Just do it yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's one thing. Like you know, I lived in Toronto for a little while, but like I didn't want to have to compete with people, and I didn't want to have to fight to pay my rent. You know, I'd rather just come back to Winnipeg and do it myself. You yeah, know, totally. Like, and and we can do it here. And that's maybe why our scene is so interesting. Speaking of uh, that Rollins book, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I actually just finished rereading that for like the millionth time. Um, do you listen to Black Flag at all? I've listened to bits of it because they know? have uh, the, an instrumental album called "The Process of Weeding Out," and it's uh, it's when Rollins was the singer, but he wasn't on the record. And it's just the the three kind of best at their instruments members of the band at the time. Okay, and it's unbelievable. It's like it's very very kind of almost like an avant garde jazz album, but really heavy. And like Greg Ginn is doing these insane, like just out of control guitar solos and stuff. It's one of my favorite records of theirs. Check it out. And it, it to me reminds me of listening to like Sun Ra or something. Like it's, 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 it's yeah, it's, that's it's, totally the relationship. I think it's very out there, and I, and I think it bombed as a record. Like I mean, not that any of their records really did that well, but I don't know if it's highly regarded <laughs> in the Black Flag catalog by punks. But to me, that was kind of what got me into them. Is is that kind of stuff when they got really weird and sludgy and strange, kind of in their later records, and uh, I really like that. And it's, I don't know. That, I would recommend it though. The process of weeding out. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, because like I've checked out a bunch of their stuff, and I remember some Rollins band, and Roll and his spoken word is beautiful. Yeah, it's cool. And, yeah. But it's hard to know what to get into. Uh, but maybe you know, back to way back in our conversation, you know, maybe that is the good thing about the internet is that uh, things are just getting shared more and more. And yeah. you know, maybe if that record came out today. Maybe people are less judgmental about uh, about genre because, like, you know, maybe that thing bombed because it went to that Black Flag audience that wanted to hear Black Flag do yeah. a certain thing. They want right? to hear hardcore, and then there's this weird kind of quasi you know, jazz thing. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and every and every genre suffered from that. I'm sure you know that marketing um, box, yeah. right? So maybe the internet is uh, erasing those that, those boxes, or like maybe in the way that a lot of the music is coming out now. Like what genre is that? I don't like some, yeah. you know, I remember a few years ago, Dirty Projectors came out, and it's like, what genre is this? What do you call this? Yeah, we're out of names. Well, they make up we new care. ones that don't make any sense. Well, yeah, they, exactly. But so we're getting, yeah. we're running out of names, and uh, it's just out there now. And artists can listen to everything, past and present. Yeah. So like maybe everything's just kind of getting garbled up. It's gonna be, um, you know, it's gonna be just one, 
one genreless scene one day, you know? Well, that's that's an interesting thing because we actually, this comes up a lot on the show just because, you know, we talk to people of, uh, I'm saying we, but it's occasionally me and a co-host. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, all different genres of music, different ages. I mean, you know, some guy could be 50, we could talk to a 20-year-old the next week. It's, you know, pretty varied. So, mm-hmm. I mean... That I agree with you on that, like that, that the internet does make that available. But then the, the kind of counterpoint to that is that the internet also allows people to just stay in their lane and stick. I mean, if I want to listen to reggae only for the rest of my life, I can do that fairly easily. That's true. Because I can just go into that's this true. never-ending rabbit hole of that and just stick to what I know. Yeah, and someone right. can do the jazz or country or blues or whatever, or hip-hop. Like, So, I don't know. It's, it's hard to know whether it's helping or, or hurting because there are definitely people who are doing that and melding every genre together and making something new. But then there's just as many people who only know what they know because they can accept, they can access all of it. That's right. I forgot. You know, Spotify just came up with that thing where it's like your mix of the day. Okay. It just gives you the music that you're, they thinks you're going to like, which is all the same stuff you like already. Right. So, so yeah. it's not, it's it's not like stays yeah. in your same, yeah. same lane. Yeah. I don't know if there's an answer to the question. I don't even know if it's a question, but it's no, but yeah. it's an interesting thing that comes up sometimes on this on this podcast because we But I wonder if like if as the record companies, you know, go away. Yeah, which is happening for sure. That wonder if they'll if the uh, but then how do you market if you can't explain it? Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. I don't, I don't know. I don't but know. that's my that's my utopian view of, yeah, of music yeah. is is a big genreless uh you know, exploration. <laughs> so it'd be nice, it'd be nice. Well another thing that kinda of comes up in relation to that is um with a lot of bands, I mean, I remember playing in bands in, I don't know, late 90s, early 2000s. And a lot of the time, at first especially, when I was a teenager, you know, in whatever, 97 or something, it would be, I'd be playing, I was in a ska band, we'd be playing a show with three punk bands, a metal band, a rap group, and a folk singer opening up. Nice. And I thought that was awesome because everything was just kind of slapped together. And there's definitely a connection between all of the different types of music, but it was clearly different. And I feel like now, although I don't go to shows often if at all yeah Um, from what i've seen what i've talked to people about it seems like it's very much kind of everyone is again staying in their lanes now in terms of local shows like you go to i mean i've talked to uh, a few hardcore bands that that have been on the show a lot and they kind of mentioned this that like you go to a hardcore show and it's the same five bands you saw last week and it's the same five bands you saw two weeks ago and two months ago and which is great because those bands all get along and they share an audience but it doesn't really expand anyone's horizons the way maybe if they were playing with, uh, I don't know, a banjo player or something in between yeah. sets, right? Or, or like some guy playing polka or whatever, like something completely different. So I don't know. I mean, did as far as jazz goes, I mean, is there any kind of meshing between different scenes at shows? Or is it pretty much this is a jazz show, this is a jazz lineup at this show? Yeah, there's no meshing, not really. I mean, there must be somewhere, but not not really. Like, you know, but it would be great if, if, if we all did that, I think. Um, you know, actively decided that we were going to try to book shows, um, yeah. bringing in different people, and uh, or maybe there was there was a venue that was committed to that, or certain promoters or whatever. Uh, I think that's that would be, that would be really healthy. It'd be cool, yeah. And I wonder if everyone would be ready for it, uh, audience-wise. But uh, that would be great. I mean, I would agree that it would it needs to happen more often. Yeah. Um, I think maybe the reason where do you start because you don't know anybody you know out of your side of your lane right right right, right. yeah yeah the lanes again yeah so we need someone to bridge those those gaps maybe or you have to actively seek it but well I think the reason I worked it when I was a teenager and, and at that time is because nobody has any special access to anything so if you want to put on a show and you know some guy in a metal band who happens to have a venue you just jump on that mm-hmm. and, and I think that's just kind of how that happened it wasn't like someone intentionally saying let's 
kind of blend this, these styles together. It's just, hey, I know this guy. He's in my science class, and he has a band. They're playing a show. I have a band too. <laughs> Let's make this work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe we can each bring five people out. We make two bucks. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. But uh, yeah, um, we're gonna get wrapping up here. But uh, where can people find your music? If someone's hearing you for the first time on the show, what is the best way for them to kind of look you up and, and hear hear what you do? Uh, well, it's all streaming on my website, keithprice.ca. Okay. Uh, you know, it's on other online platforms or whatever else, but uh, that's probably just the simplest. Because you get it all way. kind of one spot. Yeah, and I'm just streaming it all up there. So cool. Whatever. There you go. <laughs> and you're on you're you're on social media and all that stuff. Where yeah, I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, draw the line after that. I mean, sure they're great, but like you <laughs> yeah. know, it's all yeah. good. And uh, yeah, I'm sure there's there's some stuff on Spotify or iTunes or whatever. But yeah, the website is the website there has and, no. uh, Cool. There'll be more shows coming up, but. <laughs> I feel like a bit of a sad sack. I can't promote anything right now. No, it's, it's cool. Except for your show. Right, and that's what I was going to talk about. That kind of is a good Which tie Which I'm so into, excited about. It's a good tie into what we were just talking about, actually. With exactly. Um, and actually, okay, so the show is called The Big Mix Up. It's the third one we've done. Uh, the premise of the show is pretty much what we were just talking about, where we get 12 to 15 local musicians, uh, try to be as varied as possible genre-wise and instrument-wise, um, and we throw their names in the hat, pull out a band of five or six people on stage, and that band, quote unquote, has to perform whatever the audience yells at it. So uh, the audience yells out a genre of music and a theme word, and that the two minute huddle, and then go. So uh, we've had things like disco and banana, and then there's a disco song about <laughs> bananas, and food is a common thing for some reason. We had a, a soul song about People are uh, hungry, I guess. butter chicken. Like, <laughs> and then food really comes up often, I don't know why, but we've done two of them. Um, they're at the park theater, uh, and which is fantastic that the park lets us do these here because they like the idea, and I think that's the only reason why it's happening there, which is super cool. And it's the night before Halloween. It is this right? one, yeah. So that kind of worked out so cool. It's party night, yeah. And it's good, yeah. Maybe people bring up scary. I think that would scary be, yeah, stuff. That would be cool. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I mean, as someone who does a lot of improv, you probably be okay at that. I would imagine, like you. Well, we'll see. Right, it depends all on different that, languages, yeah. right? But I, I'm, I, I, you know. I mean, when you proposed the idea, I thought like, well, hell yes, that's exactly yeah. what I would want yeah. to do. <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens. Yeah, I'm sure some of it will flop and some of it will be amazing. Yeah. And it'll be really fun. Well, if people have heard the previous ones, which are both on, on our website, wishpolice.com, uh, for download and streaming, um, we have a gong, and if it gets bad... <laughs> I will walk on stage and gong it off. Usually, I let it go, but there's some points where it's just you gotta it's have, You gotta have some yeah. kind of standard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so it gets gonged off. But that's October 30th. Uh, you can find the details on witchpolice.com, on our Facebook and everything. You look for witchpolice, it'll all turn up. Uh, we also have another show that's coming out on October 16th. That's The Handsome Daughter. And that show's called Shoot First, Ask Questions Later, which is uh, coincidentally named after Spaghetti Western. Hmm. So it's kind of fits in, not really. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that show is not a live music show. It's a Q&A interview on stage with uh, four local concert photographers. So we're talking to them about uh, just kind of the art of taking show photos. And uh, cool. these are people who do this professionally and have been doing it for a long time in the scene. They all have kind of different styles. And uh, there's definitely some crossover, but they cover some different types of music, things like that. And they're going to be up there answering questions. Uh, the audience is going to be welcome to ask questions if they have you know want to know about photography and uh, we're gonna have some of their work on display at the handsome daughter for that night so it's a free show october 16th at the daughter and hopefully people show up to that because it's a cool i don't know it's a cool topic and that's great because everyone that's takes a great idea everyone takes photos of shows but this with their cell phone and they're never good <laughs> but <laughs> but there are people with you know, actual training and actual equipment who do some amazing things like just beautiful images and i think it's a an important part of capturing kind of the essence of what, what music in winnipeg is is the visual part just as much as the 
It's almost like a different, work. completely different branch of photography. It is. And my wife's a photographer, and, and she's fantastic, and she's done some show stuff, but it's it's also, you know, it's like me trying to play reggae sometimes. Like, right. you know, you've got to really know how to get those, what are you trying to get? And right. How do, you know, so this will be... Yeah, I'll yeah. have to be there to come ask questions. Definitely, <laughs> please do. It's fascinating do, show yeah. photography. Yeah, and I mean, we hope people ask questions. That's kind of the main, <laughs> the main part of it. And I can talk to them about whatever you know on stage, and that's fine. But definitely the audience participation part. Just like with the mix-up, people yelling things, and it, <laughs> it works. So it works Chaos. so well. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, again, uh, go to witchpolice.com. You can find all the past episodes. It was two hundred or so uh, now. You can download those. They're all for free download and streaming. And we're on the actual radio on Monday nights at midnight. Oh, sorry, Sunday nights. It changed. Sundays at midnight on UMFM. And those are old episodes from a few months earlier that kind of get a second win. So uh, the one that aired uh, right now, it's Monday. The one that aired last night was from April. So people are getting a second chance to hear it. Even though it's online whenever, yeah. it's kind of just an extra promotion for that group. And uh, a lot of the time it works out that someone is on here promoting a CD that's about to come out. And then by the time the thing's... Arizona UMFM, the CD's out, you can buy it, so you can it's listen. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's all good. So yeah, you can find us there. We're a part of the Garbage Hill Podcast Network, which is a very, very loose group of people doing this in Winnipeg on whatever topic they're passionate about, and we kind of just hopefully help each other get new listeners by being loosely associated with each other. So it's kind of like a gang, I guess. <laughs> a gang of podcasters. A gang of podcasters, yeah. I like it. But anyway, yeah, thanks for uh, having us on the show, having me on the show. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll see you at the, the mix-up. All right, I'm looking forward to it, man. Thank you. Cool.